Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beyond Talking Points with Matt and Matt. Um, uh, 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 yesterday, uh, Matt and I had a back and forth over text uh, because uh, Matt had seen an article written, I think it was for The Observer by Michael Malice, um, in which you know Michael was, in which Malice was a uh, 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 putting forward, you know, the the question of should the are there cultural differences in the U.S. that cannot be like squared away that they can't be solved, and if so, would secession be uh, something worth considering? Would it be a worthwhile pursuit? Um, and we were having it back and forth because uh, I think our approaches to the question are just very different. Um, I was, I mean, you could say, I guess I was taking a slightly more practical approach. Um, I was interested in, or I am interested in what, like how one would get there and, 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 and what the, would be the necessary steps to get there and, and what material conditions would be necessary for all that to happen. Um, and I think Matt is sort of approaching it a bit more as a thought experiment. Then I mean, it's a legitimate question, not a thought, thought experiment in the sense that it's useless, but a thought experiment in the sense of what would our, you know, first principles be about the situation or would we support the situation just based on like the kind of world we want to live in, the kind of society we want to, to uh, establish. Um, but I guess what, what, where I want to start <laughs> and one of our, I mean, we've had multiple disagreements on this, uh, so far, but one of them is um, how relevant the Civil War is to the secession question. Um, but I just want to bring up the Civil War really to, to, to make a specific point. And, and that is um, the, the South seceding was a, a, a threat to the uh, central government's, the federal government's uh, uh, authority. Now, of course, it, was, it wasn't really until the Civil War in a Abraham Lincoln, that the, the federal government really solidified its power. Um, so in, in the end, the federal government gained, it, it, it got a lot more power after the Civil War than it did before the Civil War. Um, but even so, uh, 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 I think any government is threatened by secession. I think every government sees secession as, you know, undermining its uh, uh, credibility um, because if, if anyone can just leave, you know, a political, uh, leave a country or a, a, a confederation or whatever at any time, that sort of raises questions about like, well, you know, is this even a legitimate uh, uh, nation state or is this even a legitimate uh, uh, or political organization? Um, so, and when I see people talk about secession, what I, I see a lot, uh, the, the way I see a lot of people frame it is a question of, of rights. Like the South did not have the right to secede or the South had the right to secede. And I just think that's a bad way to, to start the conversation because um, uh, if, if, if secession is a threat to those, in, to, 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 you know, those in power in any country, then of course they're not going to give you that right to secede. Um, now I don't think if, if Vermont, you know, wants to try to secede tomorrow or votes to secede tomorrow, um, it probably wouldn't end up in a civil war in the way that it did in the 1800s. So, um, it's definitely not, when I bring up the, the civil war, I, I don't want to 
give the impression that it's going to be, you know, boots in the ground, bloody massacres everywhere, and it's going to be, you know, complete chaos on in the streets. Um, in that way, like um, Matt was comparing, you know, say Vermont seceding tomorrow to what's happening with Brexit. Um, and I think he's right, I guess, insofar as um, it would be a legal question, really. It would be a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork, uh, 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 less than, um, you know, <laughs> boots on the ground. Um, so I, I, th I think that's a good place to, to, to begin. Um, I, I just want us like, I, 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 I think I'm really mostly interested in um, what secession means in the, given, you know, the political and material circumstances that we find ourselves in. I'm, I'm really thinking about it almost from a Marxist perspective. Um, what would we need for secession to be possible? Whose support would we need? What would we have to do? That's the most interesting question to me, because if it's not, and this is sort of why, you know, in many ways, I'm like skeptical of a lot of political philosophy and political theorizing, because if it's not necessarily a plan that we can implement, or there's not like steps we can take to get it done, in, in, in you know, uh, then I sort of think it's an idle question. Um, now, I think there would be a lot of practical problems, and I'm not sure it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but uh, 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 I, oh, I, well, one more thing before Matt jumps in. Um, in principle, you know, if I have to ask, if I have to ask myself the theoretical question, uh, I don't think I'm against secession. Um, I'm not necessarily against someone leaving a political union. Um, you know, it, to be honest, I mean, if someone really wants to leave, you know, the, the U.S. or the European Union or whatever, it's like I, I don't really see why they should shouldn't be allowed to. Um, but th there might be reasons why it, it's not really a yes or no question in my view. There might be some instances when I would be for secession. There might be other instances when I'm more skeptical of it. Um, but yeah, so to, so in principle, in theory. No, I'm not opposed to secession, but there's a lot of other reasons why I think that question in and of itself might not be the best place to begin the conversation. Yeah, I'm pretty disinterested in what you kind of referring to as the more principle or abstract questions around it, because that's not what I was trying to get at. Um, I almost thought the way you were approaching when I what I was trying to ask you was we were both trying to talk about practical consequences, but you were asking um what would it look like in practice and like how to get there and i was asking is it an admirable end in practice so i wasn't really asking are you like philosophically opposed to or, or if anybody is philosophically opposed to secession like yeah that's not really interesting and like we, we we've talked about spooner right and the how he you know he goes to the constitution and talks about why it's illegitimate and that's how you could argue like oh yeah these states have the right to secede i don't really care like i'm, I'm past the point where like i don't really listen to um a lot of like, you know, podcasts that cover U.S. history and the Constitution and certain elements, because I kind of think that's, um, I mean, if there's anything I learned from Supreme Court rulings over the last 50 years, it's that the Constitution can really be pulled in whatever way people want it to be pulled. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. That's not a very interesting route to think about it. Um, so I was pushing you on the on the other end of it. Um, and then to, just to 
before we move forward to, to reference the Civil War, because that's like the messy thing people's heads jump to when they hear secession. Um, there's just so many, I think, obvious reasons why it's not analogous to modern times, one of which is just on, um, nor on, nor on North American soil. How much bloodshed have we seen that's like government versus government or government versus like any type of civilian? And I, the answer is like very little. And I don't think that is palatable. Um, like it's already seen as human rights issues when random people are attacked by the government for whatever reason. So I don't I don't see like the national even if they said, oh, we're going to put the National Guard in Texas or the National Guard in Vermont, you know, it's like they're not going to be mowing down people. It's not going to be a United States version of Tiananmen Square. And there's no reason why the United States would immediately go to war with the state that left, right? Just because it's next to it. Um, so a lot of those types of intuitions that you'll see, like those types of takes on Twitter, because um, the other reason came up was because national divorce was trending on Twitter. So that's kind of what I why that old Michael Malice piece came up. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Matt's seen this. Um, so I was just kind of spitballing it out there. But it, it's clearly not going to. I, I mean, it seems very obvious it wouldn't result in a war unless there was like deeply extenuating circumstances after the fact, or unless it was maybe, I mean, it's hard for even me to say like, if it was a 25 state split and they split into two countries, why would that inherently be a war? Like why, why, why does one fall from the other? We saw in Brexit, it's like, I understand the European Union is not as tight as the United States. Like the United States came up pretty much together. European Union's like post hoc. So it makes more sense that they're less integrated and have more of their own national history. But with that said, it's bureaucracy working with bureaucracy. And if a state does mobilize that type of like radical ground up support, I don't see why they wouldn't have a, something more similar to the Brexit situation where it is bureaucracy working with bureaucracy to sever necessary ties and negotiate other ties. Um, that just seems like more like the most obvious scenario of, of what to expect. Um, and I, I only emphasize that because um, you and I were talking about um, certain conservative, squishy conservative thinkers before we started recording. But I don't know if you know, but Dave French wrote a book in like the last year or so. And it's essentially like a quarter of the book is kind of saying, hey, US, come back together, guys. We're all people. And I kind of really hate that line of thought. And I know like we've had people on the show kind of say stuff like that before. And I've kind of been like, yeah, that doesn't resonate with me at all. But then after David French says that, he kind of goes into like three hypothetical scenarios that could lead to like secession. And it's almost like weird fanfic. And obviously like all of them end in disaster because David French is writing it. David French hates the idea of secession. None of them are, you know, um, anticlimactic groundswell of support and um, state net and state nationalism essentially leading to wanting to leave the federal government and it seems like something that's kind of anticlimactic but natural is what i'm imagining when i post these types of questions like what could lead to secession it doesn't necessarily have to be like one pivotal event in the news and that's how people like david french think they think like oh something crazy has to happen then texas secedes out of nowhere and then something bad happens that starts a war and it's like no that's that's random but I know we'll, we want to talk more about the political aspect of it, but that's kind of my opening spiel on, and thoughts, general thoughts on the topic. Yeah, so just to tie, uh, to tie a bow on the Civil War point, um, I think the main reason many people often bring that up when you, bring, when you talk about secession is simply because uh, it's sort of assumed 
I don't think this is right, but I think it's assumed that the Civil War solved the legal question of secession. You know, the Civil War showed that no, you know, Vermont and California and New Mexico are not allowed to secede. The, they are part of the, the federal, they are part of the United States of America, which is, you know, and they, they are under, the state government is under the federal government and um, we are one union and we will stay that way. Now, of course, it's it, the, 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 the mitwit point would be like, um, well, but re the American Revolution was a secession of sorts. Um, so it's like there, there really isn't a solution to a legal solution to this problem. Um, but people, it's really, think, it, people think there's a legal solution to this problem because the South lost. So it's just sort of a post hoc rationalization for, um, you know, the, the, for why the, the, the North won the Civil War. Um, yeah, it, it's like it's like the the the, the midwit point of being like, well, if you don't like it, uh, don't you remember last time somebody tried to secede in the Civil War? And that was like a lot of the that was like the overwhelming sentiment on Twitter, which just shows why it's a cesspool that you shouldn't be on, right? Because it's just like people are like, oh, if you want to secede so bad, go to the South and lose, and it's like wow. But then the midwit point is saying, well, the Declaration of Independence was declaring your independence in an unlawful way. The the fact of the matter is like. If there is, and if, and I know we're going to talk about incentives, but if if both parties decide that you know they're going to move forward with secession and they don't want a war, peace will be struck in some way. Like a deal has to get struck, right? So it will get figured out on its own. And any type of like, um, you know, glorify like I, I don't want to say glorifying, but any type of grandstanding about civil war and being like, oh, you guys are going to be the bad guys in secession, just like the South was in the civil war. Hmm. Like all that's just rhetorically charged, like MSNBC joy level of analysis. And like, that's, there's no reason for us to touch that with the 10 foot pole. Like if anybody starts like responding to thoughts of that, you should just be like, okay, pat them on the head. Be like, okay, you've now identified yourself as a person who cannot have unique thoughts. That is cool. You tried, you're not a person who will be helpful in this conversation unless you are inadvertently motivated in the way that fits what we want for society, not through your own, you know, free thought and, and novel qualities. That's okay. People like that exist. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that though. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry for jumping in, interrupting you. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll explore a little bit. Um, I am less and less sympathetic to the idea that, uh, the, the idea of the United States of America. Um, I think when I was younger, um, when I was first, you know, getting into politics as a teenager, and I was less, I mean, I don't think I've ever really felt that much patriotism, to be honest. But um, I was like more taken in by this idea of like, yeah, well, I'm an American, and we're all kind of Americans. And this is like a great country. And um, we should stick together for, you know, indefinitely. Um, but I, I, and I don't know if this is, this might partly be like a generational thing. This might not even necessarily be like high level, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, analysis of principle here, but, um, I am, as I get older, I'm becoming less and less concerned with, um, the, 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 the fate of the United States of America as a whole, um, I mean, obviously, I, I can care about my friends. I care about my family. I don't want to see like a global, you know, economic crash, or I don't necessarily want to see like a lot of, 
no, not that not as we said, it probably wouldn't end up this way, but I don't want to see like, you know, tanks in the streets and citizens being massacred. Like, obviously, I, I, I want the material conditions around me to be, uh, 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 you know, beneficial and healthy for, for me and my loved ones. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say that uh, a, if a state wants to secede, I'm no longer really interested in this, you know, uh, 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 this idea of nationhood or this idea of, um, you know, we're all Americans. Um, and it actually, I mean, if I'm allowed to go so far, uh, uh, I sort of think we're a, a failed experiment. I, I, I think we've had a good run and, uh, I think there are certain, I mean, there are certain aspects of American culture or the American ideal that I would be sympathetic to, um, others, not so much, um, and I am, for like, you know, I am an American in the sense that I was born in America and I was influenced by American culture and I can never fully get away from that. Um, but I, I, I'm more interested in like um, bigger questions than, you know, the state of nationhood or the, the, the I'm, I'm, I'm big more interested. I'm interested in bigger questions than just the, the nation uh that that the the, the the nation question in and of itself. Um. So, one 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 idea that I, I kind of wanted to bring up, and this might have been why I wanted your thoughts on it, is um, I, I used some phrase when I was talking to um to to Keegan on his podcast where I said like homogeneity doesn't scale. Um, and so we were talking about like the rise of China and how big can China be and stuff like that. And it was, it, it seems obvious to me that if like a, if you think of empires growing and invading more places, you lose any type of like narrow homogenous culture or, or values just because out of pure size. Um, and this is why when um, people say things like diversity is our strength, it always gets like a weird mixed reaction. And then people are like, I don't necessarily know. And this feels really offensive to think, but like, what, what, what does it mean for diverse, for diversity to be a strength? And I'm like willing to see it. Everything has its trade-offs. So there are some trade-offs when you have like a more diverse group of people with different thoughts. But one, one thing I've noticed is, and I, I don't think this is that, this is arguably controversial on its surface, but it's just, if people have the same goals and they can work together and push for their goals, then more people are getting what they want. I think that's almost like tautologically true. So if you have like a, if you had like a self-governing, you know, plot of land, it could be, you know, 15 square miles. I don't care if it's a city, but 80% of them have like a generally same political views. And those people can essentially put in what they want their little area to be and then dominate that little area with those values unadulteratedly in like a very partisan way, 80% of the people are pretty happy because they all got what they wanted. The issue that it seems when people in the United States talk about federal politics is nobody gets what they want because bipartisanship always wins. And a lot of the things that are wins for one side or the other are kind of like in the culture wars or the rhetorical in nature. And the thing that ends up happening is bipartisanship is what happens when like all these things come together and they scale. So when I was like talking to you about secession, I was thinking like, I know you and I would have a very different imagination for what a group of 200 people would look like, 
you know, if I got to have my community of 200 people and get to be like the God King or whatever, and you had yours, they'd look very different. Um, because you would like to scale yours to, I have, if I get to pick all the worldviews of the 100, 200 people in my community, you, you would say, I want them all to be like me. And then you guys would be like very communitarian. You'd have like all sorts of rules and you could enforce it in a way that is like not held back by the bipartisan nature of large governments, right? Or large societies with different views. So I was thinking of, and this is why like I brought up New Hampshire and Vermont, like a couple of representatives in New Hampshire put forward state legislation saying we want to secede from the U.S. And when I hear something like that, and I know New Hampshire is Oh, that makes me want to move to New Hampshire. If New Hampshire has a shot at seceding, I would love to live in New Hampshire, where they're known for having a bunch of people who are at least closer to thinking what I think, even if they're still like status to some degree. Um, and I'm okay with taking that loss. Um, so I guess maybe I am bringing it back to the the to some sort of principled question on accident here. But, but I guess I just want a clarity on: is that something that you are sympathetic to? It's the idea that as societies grow, it sounds appealing to say this is a mixing pot, you have all sorts of people, and it's not even saying anything bad about other people in superficial ways, but it's just saying if you're with more people who share your values, it's generally easier to cement something that you're going to agree with, and that's not something we should be afraid of, and that's why the secession topic calls to me, is it's like, to me, it just seems like a way to make more people happier, and that can seem kind of outrageous to the reaction I see from left-wingers. Um, so I, I, this might be something that's not as interesting to you, but I at least wanted to hear your take on that thought, because that was kind of rolling around in my head. I mean, I, I think it depends on how much consensus we think we can create. Um, what I, like, what I guess I, I'm, like, concerned about when we talk about homogeneity um is you know i i and i don't think you're making this mistake but i don't want us to like construct a a weak argument uh where like pretty much everyone agrees on almost everything and like there's like no conflict because uh uh you know carl Jung speaks of the narcissism of small differences right people can make a huge deal out of you know tiny details that might distinguish them even if they agree i mean easy example right like uh trotsky and lenin uh, trotsky and lenin trotsky and stalin you know probably agreed on on a good bit they were both orthodox orthodox marxists uh, uh or you know i guess the leninist type anyway and so but 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 they hated each other and they disagreed about you know a few minor differences and the parties split you know more in favor of trotsky more in favor of of Stalin and um, it's like, or many, you know, uh, uh, the Soviet Union under, you know, um, Stalin and the, uh, China under Mao, like two communist countries supposedly should get along, but they actually had a very rocky relationship. So I, I, I don't want us to, because I, I think sort of the secession question is in regards to minimizing conflict. Um, and what I want us to like recognize is I think any social body will have conflict. Every social body will have people with different material interests, um, different opinions. Um, and that's what politics is all about, is fighting for your interests, fighting for your 
uh, uh, ideology or your values and, you know, may the best man win, so to speak. Um, that, that is my one uh, uh, caveat to, to, to what you said. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would add on that, because I think that is a fair point. But um, I mean, it's just a reminder. And it's it's almost like it almost seems condescending to say, but I feel like it's such a subconscious thing that we all do is we don't think in degrees. And I know I mentioned this in a couple of recent episodes, but it's just like, if, if the small differences in the society is arguing about is like the difference between should our, you know, state, should, should, should our property tax be 4% or 6% versus another group saying, should it be 0% or 30%? It's like, even though they're still arguing, it's like, how significant is it? And then the cool thing I think about secession is the more you differentiate states against um, from each other the more you balkanize the more recourse a citizen has so to, to some degree right now any american can say i hate california i'm moving to florida right a lot of people did that in the last year or, or in a year and a half or whatever um but no matter where you move in the united states there's like a large like like almost i don't think it's unfair to say the majority of rules in the u.s come from the federal level so you have recourse from certain state things. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is, even though there would still be problems, this isn't a silver bullet, you would give people more recourse and you would give people like, you, you would enhance the, um, the, the, you'd enhance the upside here. So it's like the differences people would argue about in the political realm would be still heated, but they'd be more minute. And people could say, instead of saying, well, I'm gonna move from Florida taxes no matter what so i'm upset it's i can move from oklahoma to florida and i won't carry any of these federal rules anymore right um so it, it's more it accentuates the differences and that's actually a good thing is kind of what i'm saying i mean i do think secession slash balkanization would minimize conflicts. So I think we agree on that point. Um, but sort of where I like, maybe we would differ or where my, I like other like caveats I might add are um, regarding like the, I maybe I've said this before in the podcast actually, but I sort of have this idea and I don't have like a lot of historical data to, you know, bring to the conversation, but sort of this idea of, you know, is there like a, a cycle between centralization and decentralization? Is there like, do, do societies tend to like, you know, get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then they get too big. So then they have to like break apart into smaller societies, and then they just get bigger again. Um, and so I, I sort of ask myself, um, if, if uh you know the the country breaks into five countries let's say um uh 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 would that be you know the end of it or would you know one country end up invading another country would we end up having like um you know or or, or would it end up being like another you know country from coast to coast would there be a period of uh uh, uh re-centralization where a new country that's not quite the U.S., you know, springs up again. Um, that's just something I, 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 I think is very, like, 
uh, a real possibility. You know, there aren't, and I, I, I'm repeating myself here, I'm sure, but there aren't solutions to these, to social problems. There's only temporary armistices. And, and that's sort of like where I like, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a silly point on face of it. Cause I think it's so obvious, but, uh, uh, politics is always about conflict. And so, um, I'm always like, whatever solutions we propose, I guess I'm always aware, I'm always like aware of either the downsides or I'm aware of, you know, the, 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 the problems embedded in that solution. And so you, 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 can, you, you know, you want to think about like, I guess, both long-term or short-term like costs or, or short-term benefits to actions, but then long-term costs or long-term benefits to actions. And people are very hard think to, you know, it's, it, it can be very challenging to think about long-term costs and you never quite know. So, I mean, the, the long-term, okay. So, so I guess to, <laughs> to bring up the civil war again, it's like, you could argue that the, the cultural wars or like the, the increased polarization partly stems from the fact that we didn't split off and become two different countries. Um, but then obviously like there are, there, there are things that would be, we could say were benefits to the civil war. Right. So like all these things have, uh, 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 you know, every action has consequences and then the consequences have consequences ad infinitum. Um, so I, I, this kind of goes back, I guess, to, you know, the several conversations we've had on this podcast regarding strategy. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, so the two separate thoughts here are, I, I think I'm with you on that cycle. And I think I've given myself a satisfactory answer for why I'm with you on that cycle. <laughs> and no, normally I'm like, I don't like that. That's a weird meta narrative based on generalizations. And I don't feel like there's a reason to assume that's the trend, but I think the way it generally goes is centralized control has negative impacts on a place's, um, I guess, how, how to put this growth, right? So it's harder to grow if you're bogged down by rules at a leader's whim. If it's central planned, that leads to all sorts of catastrophes. But also, if it doesn't lead to catastrophe, it usually does add burdens. So at the least, it slows. Um, now, if I rewind a little bit and then talk about the flip side of the coin, which is decentralization, if you're not inhibited by certain types of restrictions, and people are taking action from the ground up, that leads to the best growth for people because that type of stuff isn't like, oh, well, we want this type of company to exist. So even though it's failing, we keep it alive. You don't have these types of waste that when people send signals that they don't want it, they don't get profit. To, to, to however degree you have it is better than centralization in terms of growth. Now, something that we've touched on a little bit is archotropism. And there, it's just a, I guess, a philosophical way of looking at power um, put forward by this YouTuber named Popular Liberty. He has a podcast. And I don't want to butcher one of the laws, but I'll just say this idea is in his framework somewhere. It's the idea that the greater economic power you have, um, the greater political power is associated with it. And what you're kind of getting at is decentralized states grow. And as they grow, they're more powerful 
And now they are more appetizing for people to invade because it's like, well, now you have all these production centers. And unless those have strong governments that will defend them, then you're kind of thinking, well, are they going to get invaded? And then guess what? We get centralization again, which is what we currently have. So have we gone in a circle? Is there any point of even talking about the circle? Why don't we just accept the circle? Because even if we do secede, we're going to get reabsorbed again. I guess I'm not as willing to um, be fatalistic about it because I'm open to the idea that with technological advances, and I know this is kind of, it's, it's not that it's lazy, it just can't be proven, but the idea of paradigm shifts. So earlier when we were talking about the Civil War, I'm just, I just openly kind of made an assertion and that assertion was something like, it's hard to imagine a United States version of Tiananmen Square happening in Vermont because Vermont decides to secede. And I'm in that assertion, I'm pretty much saying there's been a paradigm shift for the types of violence that is acceptable in a first world country. Now, you could point to a lot of things that happened not that long ago, like, you know, like less than 100 years ago, that were absolute atrocities that happened by humans. And somebody could say, well, we're humans and humans are capable of these types of things. Um, but certain types of military technological advantages make it harder to believe that the United States can turn into that type of war zone um, as long as we're a first world country. That's an assertion. I'm relying on a paradigm shift and it's hard to because you don't have proof that we've made that shift. Um, I feel comfortable saying that though. So that's like, it keeps me from saying, well, of course we'll get centralized again because people invade the US. It's like, well, when do people invade on foot into other countries unless you're talking about like the Middle East or Africa? It's like that doesn't happen in, you know, North America. It doesn't happen in Europe. It's it's kind of happened in Russia, Ukraine. It might happen in Taiwan and China. Why? Well, because those places are very small um, and because they're very close to the country that's like next to them. So it's like, well, could I see one county taking over another county? If every county's balkanized, maybe. But would a county want to do that? What incentives would have to exist on like a balkanized level for them to want to do that in the 21st century? It's hard to say. Um, but I think the worst case scenario is we get centralization again. That's what we have now. I don't think that's a good thing. So succumbing to that, I don't think it's the right answer either at all. <laughs> but I, I do respect where that argument comes from. Like, I think I think I spelled out why I think there's a lot of truth in it. So. Yeah, you do have to bat that around a little bit. Uh, well, actually, um, I, I probably didn't make myself clear because um, I don't think that uh, the, the argument about the cycle, centralization, decentralization, that's not really even an argument against seceding. Uh, uh, it's only an argument against, uh, and you're not making this argument, it's only the argument against we'll secede and then, you know, we'll have... It, it, the, the, the matter will be done and there'll be peace and, and harmony and, and there won't be other problems we'll have to deal with down the line. That, that's really all I guess I'm trying to say. And it's sort of similar, um, you know, so, so like you're bringing up the idea of uh, probably not going to have, you know, the type of conflict in America in, you know, in a first world country that we see in a third world country. Um, and I think you're right. Um, but at the same time, again, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, I, I, I think sometimes people can let, uh, you know, the, the type of progress we've seen in the past hundred years or so, um, 
get in the way of other more like primal forces or other like historical phenomenon. And so it's not that I think seceding will lead to a blood of the like bloodshed, but um, it, it it's sort of like, I think a little idle for us to argue that, you know, there couldn't come a point where <laughs> there would be a war zone in the middle of the United States. Right. It, like people can, there can be random outbreaks of violence or certain, you know, economic pressures or political pressures can lead, you know, either governments or people to start doing, uh, uh, you know, terrible things. Or um, so it, it. I don't know. I, I just want us to keep in mind that um, pe I, I think people, if I may, like use a very loose, you know, definition of human nature. I think people are kind of the same through, across the ages. I don't think we've really, and the evolutionary biologists talk about we haven't like you know our brains haven't evolved since when we were like, you know, uh, living in the hunter gatherer tribes in the African savanna. So, um, or, or I mean, it's, it, it's almost like thinking, okay, let me use this quick example. Um, the nowadays, I think it's quite, kind of like pretty, it's becoming more fashionable to criticize the enlightenment. And why is that? Because I, well, I think it's because of the, the, the 20th century and it's because of communism and it's because of fascism and Nazism. And it's because, you know, um, what was thought of as civilized Europe became one of the most <laughs> barbaric places, uh, uh, you know, where, where atrocities were committed. Um, and, and, you know, this was, I mean, nowadays we sort of just take this for granted. And, and this is why a lot of people, you know, sort of internalize this idea that we're like secretly bloodthirsty monsters and they have a negative view of human nature. But it was sort of a shock to the system to be like, like, whoa, but we're like Europeans, we're civilized, we're like noble people. And how could, you know, how could mass genocide happen on our, you know, uh, on the continent like this? How could this outbreak of violence and, and uh, 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 you know, um, barbarism ever happen? Um, it's a pretty, it's a minor point, perhaps. Um, but it's, it's something worth considering. I'll let you jump in. I do want to, before, after you jump in, I do want to tack, tackle maybe a more practical side of secession. Uh, yeah. but, but, but I'll let you respond to what I said first. Yeah, I was just going to reiterate the how I alluded to paradigm shift. But like it, the whole thing with nuclear deterrence is like worth noting, I guess. So, and I, I know this is all obvious to you, but like where have we seen the most bloodshed since like nuclear weapons have been more prolific? It's like pretty much in proxy wars. And that's kind of the type of reason why it's less, I take it less seriously, like the concept of modern warfare. So it's not like a, oh, I think we've, you know, grown as intellectual beings and we're, we're beyond that. It's almost just like there is no will to put boots on the ground in places if both places have nuclear weapons. It's like the same reason why, you know, Israel somehow still exists, even though, you know, the last uh, however many decades people are waiting for it to get wiped off the face of the earth. Um, and it's just because of the technology. Um, so I think that's the real thing. And that's not fun to speculate on since neither of us have gamed it out maybe to the degree, but it's like people hate North Korea and North Korea is tiny and has no economic power, right? And it's like, yeah, Kim Jong-un still lives. And it's like, well, why? It's like, well, they have nuclear weapons. Um, and then I, I have to argue with myself too, because I'm autistic. So, so give me one more second. Um, I imagine like 
so sometimes I put like words in the voice of of Nazim Nicholas Club in my head. So I imagine him saying like, well, now you have to worry about nuclear game theory and that's a catastrophic risk to humanity. So why would you be in favor of secession if it can lead to catastrophic risks to humanity? And that reminds me of, of all people, uh, so um, what, what's her name? Um, Well, I can't remember what the book is named off the top of my head. Matt, uh, Rachel Maddow. I don't know why I couldn't get that name out there. She wrote this um book and it was about like, Reagan and the war and war and stuff in general. But the only thing that was worth noting from that book that really stuck with me is she went through like several near um, accidental nuclear weapons discharges on U.S. soil. And it, it's one of those things where um, and then I've heard a bunch of talk on AI and false alarms and new nuclear game theory. And it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like we've already opened that box of catastrophic humanity risk by having new multiple nations with nuclear weapons. So I kind of feel like nuclear has to be thought of as it would play a role in secession, potentially that type of deterrence. And it would also not make it any worse in terms of humanity's risks. Cause there's already this like outsized bad probability with very dangerous weapons and, and cascading effects. If somebody thinks they're going to get nuked by China, then they nuke everybody. And then, yeah. So yeah, that, that's just, you know, you don't need to respond to that. We can move on. I just wanted to throw that into the equation because, because you got to make things more confusing. They have to be, that's the point of the podcast, you know? <laughs> I mean, it is beyond talking points. So that's quite literally the point of the podcast. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I want to shift the conversation slightly. Um, I know it's not necessarily that interesting to ask like whether secession is going to happen tomorrow. Um, but I just want to think about for a few minutes, uh, what would be necessary for secession, for secession to become a, a true, like a, a real, um, option on the ground. Um, because I, I think you need, well, I think I might've said this to you over text, but you need at least two things. You need a, uh, a, a real like you know popular movement i mean you need you'll need like state leaders like your mayor and your you know city councilman or whatever um and, and you'll probably need the you know consent or, or you, you, you'll, you'll need a lot of people from that particular state to really want to fight for this and really like you know go on talk shows and publish books and and go to those city council meetings and uh, uh, or go to like, you know, whatever, like if it becomes like, it, 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 I could see it like uh, if we're thinking about a Brexit like situation, I could see it like something like that going all the way up to su the Supreme court and people like legal scholars having to argue about this. So it's like, you have to have, you know, both experts and, and, and also like the average, and a lot of average people willing to do what it takes to get there. Um, but you, and then you also have to have, um, the people in the federal government, uh, you know, either people in the federal government who want to see that state to, to secede or people in the federal government that are willing to allow it to happen. Um, now, we, we, and we've been comparing it to Brexit and the EU is allowing, you know, Britain to leave if it does. The EU is not saying you can't leave. It's just a very long drawn out process with a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, and so it, it has to be, and I, this is why I keep bringing up like Marxism and the materialist, materialist conception of history. I think people have to think um, that the their material interests are at stake. Like like they they will be better off 
their lives, will be, their family and friends will be better off. Um, uh, 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 in terms of like standard of living and happiness and whatnot, if, uh, you know, they, if Vermont, say, becomes a country uh, on its own. Um, I don't think it's necessarily like, uh, and I was thinking about this because I was like, <laughs> when we were texting last night, I was sort of like, I guess one reason I was getting frustrated is I was almost feeling like we were debating a point of like science fiction or fantasy, but, but that's not quite, that shouldn't really be how I frame it because I don't think it's something that uh, couldn't happen. I don't think secession is like uh, an impossible thing to happen in the sense of like, uh, you know, and this, I, I don't think aliens, you know, that's a, a civilized, uh, a highly, uh, a technologically civilized, uh, uh, you know, alien race is going to come down tomorrow. Like, I think secession is far more likely to happen than that. So it's like, it's not a question of science fiction or fantasy. Um, but it is, I guess I am most interested in like, like if I were to having, a, if I were, were to have a conversation with Michael Malice, um, if he doesn't think I'm too much of a mitwit to have a conversation with, um, <laughs> if we were to have that conversation, I would really want to ask him, like, what do you think are the steps, you know, one would take and, and what do you think you would have to do um, to, to get there? Um, it's, it, and you, you said you're not that interested in the, you know, uh, a principal question of the philosophy behind it. So I guess neither of us really are. Um, but I do think it's something worth asking um, because it's all about, at the end of the day, politics is about action. Politics is about strategy. Um, it, it, it's, it's about what you can do and how you can do it. So like any revolution, the American revolutionaries, let's just take them as an easy example for a second. Like they had to think, like, yeah, we have, we're able to fight the British. If they thought, like, okay, like, we're not, and if they, if they hadn't had a plan, if they hadn't, like, thought of, like, you know, what they're going to do, and if they hadn't thought of strategy, if General, if, if General Washington, like, hadn't, like, you know, kind of uh, uh, considered, you know, what he had to do as a military leader to, to fight this war, um, then obviously the, 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 uh, 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 the elite in the colonies wouldn't have, you know, waged the war to begin with. So, but, but, but they must've, but, but they obviously thought like they had, they, they really thought about this for a while. They really debated it. And so they thought, yeah, there's a reasons to fight this struggle. We're able to fight it on these grounds and we're able to do, you know, these things to get there. Um, in fact, there were, I think there were real material advantages for the colonies to fight for their independence um, I mean, an obvious one is like home turf, like they knew the, the layout of the land in the way that British soldiers probably wouldn't have. Um, and uh, they were fighting for, I mean, this was the the elites fighting for their own like material interests, but obviously they would have more power, more influence, maybe even more money uh, uh, if they were ruling, running their own country rather than being the the colony of another country. Um, they could dictate tax policy. They could dictate the, uh, you know, the government's attitude towards religion. Um, so I, I'm not trying to make a silly point. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like, oh, secession's never going to happen. So let's drop the subject. Um, but I am interested in some practical questions, at least. Yeah. So, okay. So to handle my, my, my first thought was, okay. 
the one thing I want to bring up first is the economic idea of a transaction cost. So, you know, imagine you bought a home tomorrow for 400 grand, and then two months later, you found out it was worth like $575,000. When you bought it for 400 grand, you probably wouldn't have bought it for $575,000, but you don't necessarily want to sell it now. It's worth $575,000 because you're moved in, it's hassle move out. There's certain transaction fees that go along with selling that house. Um, you'd have to find somewhere new to live. It'd be a lot of hassle. So a lot of times people just feel like, eh, whatever my house is worth now, I don't really care. I'm just going to keep going with what I have. Um, because these transaction costs end up being a disincentive to change, right? So I like imagine you were in Texas and you like scored your well beacon as an 80. And then you thought if Texas wasn't part of the United States, it was self-run. It would be an 83 for me. That doesn't mean you should succeed in a lot of people's heads because imagine if for the next eight years in that process of separating that bureaucratic nightmare and creating new systems to replace it, your livelihood was like a 70. So you're pretty much saying like, it's not like it's going to go straight from 80 to an 83. My dropped like a 70. So even though like that's temporary and like if you looked at it like an annuity or something in finance, it wouldn't be, it would still make sense to secede. People don't think that way. People react and make certain decisions a lot of times over waiting the short term. Um, that's a big disincentive for seceding. Now, I will say, I think the fortunate elements of this is a lot of things that happen in politics are curated from, and this is this is fortunate in terms of I'm in favor of secession, so I think this is fortunate, but a lot of things are curated from a small amount of people who put ideas in the public conscious, amplify ideas, and those ideas become popular. Um, not a lot of ideas are politically popular for rational reasons um, to knock on the right. Um, I what I like Trump more than I like Democrats, right? You know this, Matt. But I didn't agree with a lot of his economic policy. Um, if you polled Republicans when George Bush was president and asked them what they thought about, or or when, when Obama was president, that's a better example. If you asked them what they thought about free trade, they were overwhelmingly for it because you have to think of like the time of Mitt Romney and stuff like that. But then by the time Trump was, you know, in office for a year, Republican support for free trade had essentially plummeted. So to some degree, public opinion is curated or it is amplified by people supporting certain ideas. So and then um, because you're bringing up the Revolutionary War, it did cross my mind to bring up the whole three percenter thing where they say like only three percent of the people fought in the war. I did read something that said that was probably more like six percent. But that's like the myth of if you have this minority that is strongly, strongly in favor of something and pushing it, it can happen. Um, now, to get to the more nitty gritty political side of it, the reason why I could see it being possible, and it's not just saying, well, Trump got elected. It's not just saying, well, Brexit happened. It's more saying it's like the rise of talk radio um, has amplified thoughts that are less politically palatable in Washington but they are politically palatable to the individual. And certain states are more polarized than other states. So if you have a lot of people who are on the right in a state and they're the overwhelming majority, and they're not just right-wingers, they're the right-wingers that think all the right-wingers in Washington are awful. Those people in their state houses elect people who are far more right-wing than people in the federal government. So I guess what I'm saying is it's possible for state legislators incentives to be more aligned with radicals than it is for the people in Washington. It just it would have to get to the point where to whatever degree 
it's harder to fight with those states and say you can't leave than it is to make them stay. So like Ted Cruz and anybody who's an elected senator, even if they're in like the Tea Party, will probably always be anti-secession because then they lose their job, right? They're about retaining American, you know, American national spirit and fighting for their region, but they aren't championing, I would rather leave. But there are probably people in Texas legislators, in Texas's legislature that they're not necessarily publicly willing to defend it, but they're overwhelmingly supported by people who have said they're in favor of seceding from Texas for like probably a lot of their career. Um, the question is, why hasn't Texas seceded yet? Like that's been a joke or at least like a meme of some sorts for the whole time I've been engaged with politics over like the last seven years or so. Um, and I think it's just a combination of, since people don't think it's politically palatable, there is no official movement. And it's like Texas has gotten bluer over time. So Texas is really like the conventional wisdom is, oh, Texas might secede. But Texas actually has like a counter movement that would cut against them ever seceding. It's more like Florida that's getting more red or New Hampshire that's getting more red or Vermont that's like independent but blue and really blue are the ones that I'm like, well, maybe cascading effects could happen there. Um, but yeah, you can give your thoughts on that and then we'll probably fight on details. I mean, there's not that much to fight about, honestly, with what you said. Um, uh, I, I, but to respond, I'm going to respond in my usual roundabout way by bringing up a random person. And this time it's John Locke. Um, so John Locke, uh, you know, he, uh, as you learn in government class in high school, was very influential on the founders. You know, uh, uh, Jefferson's phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was basically plagiarizing John Locke, who said the government's role was to protect life, liberty, and property. Um, but I bring this up because uh, 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 John Locke has this idea. Uh, it's very a very enlightenment idea, um, partly why we're the influence of this idea is sort of why we're asking this question at all. This idea that the, the people's will is what matters. The government has to respond to the people's will. And if the government ceases responding to the people's will, then according to Locke, people have the right to, uh, um, people have the right to, uh, 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 to, 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 to fight their government, to overthrow their government, to establish a new, government um and so i'm gonna i'm gonna put that right a question aside because like i said that doesn't interest me what interests me is um i think he's talking about a real phenomenon yeah i'm gonna see if i can get this light turned on while i'm talking uh it's talking about a real phenomenon um i tried he's talking about a real phenomenon uh which is um you know if a government lacks a certain amount of support then I think either support or it hasn't brainwashed its people well enough, then I think it, it will run into the problems. It will have to make concessions or it might even uh, fall apart entirely. Um, you know, like North Korea, like, like why hasn't they, why haven't they seceded or why haven't they overthrown their government? Part of that is I think probably brainwashing. I mean, sounds, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds maybe mildly conspiratorial, perhaps, but yeah, I mean they—they're they're very cur they curate their their books, they curate their uh, uh, you know the media, the television, and I think they probably 
I mean, I, I, th- there are dis- dissidents in the in the North Korea, obviously, who want things to change and probably would are attempting to organize uh, 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 opposition movements. But I suspect a lot of people in North Korea are just so, um, you know, taken in by the, gov- the government's uh, uh, ability to to curate information, uh, even more so than say a country like the United States, that it makes it almost impossible to have a uh, uh, an uprising, a popular uprising. Um, so I, I, I basically what I'm trying to say is um, there is a like legitimate point to be made for if people want to uh, uh, if people if, if, if someone in the, if, a, if a state in the US no longer wants to be part of the US, I think it could easily get done. I think it could easily happen. Um, I don't think it's going to happen under this current, the current circumstances, mostly because of lack of political engagement. Now, like I said, it's it's not so much. It's I mean it's partly due to brainwashing and and due to curating information, but actually in the U.S. I think it's less about that and more about just political apathy. Most people, I think, probably if you ask them, if you ask random strangers in the street. They're probably not happy with the way the country's going, whether they're left or right, but they're not, you know, really engaged. They might go to the polls every four years and they might occasionally maybe even go to their city council to, to a meeting at, you know, town hall or, you know, uh, call up people during an election year to vote for Bernie Sanders or whatever. They might do minor things. They might go to a protest downtown or whatever, but there's no serious opposition movements in the United States right now. And uh, for that reason, I don't think secession is going to happen anytime soon. If that changes, if there are people who become far more politically engaged, even as you say, if it's a a minority, then I think something could change. So I, I think maybe the thing that gives me like a white pill about potential secession, it's 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 the whole trend that like pro democracy people get freaked out about, and I'm talking about like the blue pilled uh, CNN pro um, pro democracy people who pretty much cite political polarization as the thing they're most afraid of, um, and it's, it's, that's somewhat rightfully so to be afraid of political polarization because it does lead to people say well, us even having this conversation about wanting to secede. So at the same time, politics have has become increasingly less local and more federalized. So all the news is like federal news. People get their news from the same sources and local media is dying. In a way, I think that cuts in favor of secession because people hate their federal government. Um, If you look at polls of say like approval for Congress, Senate, et cetera, those things are catastrophically low. It's it's irreparable. And I, I guess what I'm saying is this could be creating an incentive structure for local politicians. Uh, Matt, you're breaking up. Uh, are you there? Well, Matt's frozen. Um,
I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi or his. Um, anyway. Uh, hmm. Oh, he's joining again. Hold on. Uh, move. Can you hear me? Are you able to hear me? Okay. Uh, you're still breaking yeah. up a little bit, but I can hear you now. Yes. Um, Gosh. I think you're, I think you're good. Uh, I think you're good. Um, okay. How about now? Yeah, uh, I can hear you, but your screen's me? frozen. I can hear you anyway. Yes. Cool. Um, oh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm talking not, about I, incentives. I yeah. Um, and I apologize to pe people who are going to watch this, especially because I'm too lazy to edit it, see what I put on a podcast feed. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, it's so, so, so now, the people that listen to it on the podcast feed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, they, they, they could handle a minute of a, of a bad audio. But I, sorry, my, my, my computer decided that was the first where it just kind of turned off. So I'm, um, I'm on my phone. Um, and I apologize, apologize for any low, lower quality audio. But what I was saying is, um, the incentive it's structure. It's like on C-SPAN where uh, people call in and they're just terrible it. audio. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Jesus Christ. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like the incentive structure can shift to where it makes sense for local politicians to now have the opportunity to grab power. So talk radio incentivizes like, and I, I use that colloquially because I know it's more like independent media now, like Tim Pool or Rogan or whatever. But that incentivizes people to like be very critical of the federal government and also be more in favor of things that will never happen federally. So you have like Pod Save America, where like very pro $15 minimum wage and blah, blah. Um, well, this is an opportunity for the people who do have power locally to implement those ideas on a local level. But it's also to boogeyman the federal government. So it's like this is kind of a race to the bottom in terms of how long can I badmouth, say, Congress and then say, we're going to do all this stuff and Congress bad guy for why we're not there yet. So it's an opportunity for people who are in red states that are getting redder to say, we're not going to stand for you paying these types of taxes that we don't see come back to us. Oh, we're losing business because of this bad government policy. We're going to do something about it. We don't want any parts to do with them. And then you might think, well, is it really in their best interest to now be part of a smaller nation right um but it could be yes because now you're like the governor of texas is now like you're not responsible you're not reporting to you know a ton of other bureaucratic institutions every position in texas is now more powerful so it's really just like a game of who blinks first to some degree if that makes sense um but i think this is a, a switch that's to flip and it does require as you were saying with by bringing up lock, it does re require ground um, support to get going. So it's just, is this going to naturally become politically, the political consciousness? And, and I will just say the other thing that made me bring this up to you, and I think this is funny, is when national divorce was trending on Twitter, there's like a very like blue pill type response for saying, if they don't want their Medicaid, if they don't want, and then they list like seven other government programs like separately, then they can leave. And then I was kind of joking, like, 
if you can if libertarians instead of converting people on the left can just push every like blue pilled lefty to respond with that's fine leave all your government programs ha huh? if we just get them to say that point then it's like well maybe if texas or florida goes to secede people who are the aoc type left wingers will be like well that's good right right leaning states end up taking more money from the federal government than left leaning states let them leave we'll do better without them and if you can get that type of inflammatory response like you could have something there and it could be a win-win even though they don't even if they're convinced that it's not a win-win because the republicans are actually shooting themselves in the foot you can let them think that so that that's where i see it kind of being plausible i guess Um, well, this is probably no consolation to you or any other ANCAPs, um, given I have no political power uh, uh, whatsoever. But if it's all this, if it means anything to you, uh, I'm, I say let them. I say you can go off, do your little ANCAP thing, and I'm not going to bother you if I am the God King uh, who will, you know, run the U.S. for a day um, or more. But I mean, I, I, I guess it's I guess at this point then we're sort of just asking ourselves um, how how likely people are to act on the their hostility towards the federal government. I guess I'm just leaning on the side that, and this is a more empirical question. Um, I'm just uh, leaning on the side of um, if you can still hear me. I'm leaning on the side of right now, at least, no matter, even though people are extremely frustrated with the federal government, I don't see them acting on that frustration. I think they would have to get even more frustrated. And I think uh, perhaps, you know, maybe we'd have to have an economic downturn or something. I think there's some other compounding factors that might have to happen for people to uh, take direct action. Um, but like I said, um, I mean, I, I think I could see myself be willing to be, uh, I, I could see myself supporting uh, secession. Um, you know, we brought up Vermont. It's like, well, I probably share more in common with Vermonters in terms of policy than, say, many Kentuckians, which is where I'm from. So it's like if Vermont were to secede and I moved to Vermont, um, that is probably more a more ideal political arrangement for me um, because like we said, there's the, the conflict is less uh, or the, the conflict is downsized to a degree. Um, and Vermont is small enough to where, you know, my, my ideal of like, you know, more direct democracy, maybe, maybe Vermont couldn't be a full on direct democracy where you vote for every single thing, but it, since it's smaller, the, the people, your, the average person, the postman, the preschool teacher, the firefighter, they would have more of an ability to act, to make decisions, to, 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 to dictate policy. Um, and so I am uh, in, 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 I mean, in that sense, I would be totally in favor of that. Um, I guess the only like, if I really want to argue against myself here, um, I guess my question is uh, how, you know, has global has globalization and has internationalism sort of made localism 
not impossible, but far more difficult um, because a lot of the issues I think we're dealing with nowadays, you know, culturally and uh, 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 economically, um, they are issues which uh, I, I sort of do scale up to be international issues such as say, you know, nuclear deterrence or such as, you know, um, I mean, cap, cap, capital, capitalism is an, an international phenomenon. So if you're, you know, critical of, of certain capitalist ideas or policies, you would really want to fight it on an international level. Um, but then, but there again, maybe it's a cycle of, you know, more localism and more nationalism versus more internationalism. And, and, um, Maybe, you know, these things are just, which, again, doesn't necessarily invalidate action, but it does sort of point to uh, just general trends that might happen throughout history. Um, I do actually want to ask you sort of a, a, a question that would lead to some food for thought. Um, did you want to respond to anything I said beforehand or? I, I would just say the globalization whole thing is like with the Trump presidency, everybody's kind of like, can we put the genie back in the bottle, you know? So it's like we have globalization, Trump wanted protectionist policies. Can that really jive with the modern world? Um, and I, to, so to the degree that everybody's going to have globalized relationships, like that's not going away, but it doesn't mean that government has to be global. I don't think those two things are related. So that's kind of why um, I think it's, I think it might be a moot point to me, even though it's like I do recognize that globalization is far reaching. It's almost like that's fine, though, because secession is a question on governance and not a session of commerce to some degree. Um, but that, that was the only point I was going to make. I mean, I would, but wouldn't you say financial incentives? This isn't the question I was going to ask, but wouldn't you say financial incentives are an in, like, 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 I, I mean, I know you're, you would criticize state capitalism until the cows come home. But but would you say that the issues with state capitalism uh, really do go far beyond, you know, the United States or the UK or France? And it's really, uh, you know, a lot of financial interest is international and a lot of people involved in, you know, uh, uh, financial policy or, you know, foreign policy. It comes from uh, people who you know, they're not necessarily tied to a specific culture or a specific country, but they're tied to a new global order, uh, which, you know, requires certain, uh, uh, you know, which, which, which requires politicians to make certain moves in certain directions that go against uh, localism and go against the, you know, direct action of uh, uh, citizens of an individual nation state. Yeah, finance is confusing. Business is confusing. But I, I, I guess like we've done a lot of hand waving about certain elements of secession. And part of it's been about like, well, Brexit was able to do it. And since like since Britain was able to leave the EU, a lot of this stuff that's more, um, you know, on the ground in terms of doing paperwork and making sure certain relationships work. I'm more saying there's at least one example of that stuff being mostly figured out because it's been mostly figured out in that example. It's harder to say that like Vermont would be groundbreaking relative to Britain leaving the EU. So it's like, would there be implications on the dollar? Like what would Florida do with their as their currency? I guess it would still be the dollar. The US could still print all the dollars they want. 
maybe Florida would have to decide um, with how they feel about the do- dollar at some point. Sure. Um, but then it's like they can figure it out. I don't see I don't see this as a catastrophic. Um, I don't see this any more concerning than the status quo is, I guess, is what I'm saying. So as much as it's like, yes, this is a thing to to be worried about. It is right now, too. So it's more of just like this isn't resolved by secession, but secession, I don't see it making these things worse, if that if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, I I do think. I think as time goes on, we probably are going to have more questions regarding secession, more questions regarding, you know, the the so- sovereignty. I guess is the you know uh, jar the, the the piece of jargon you could throw out there. Um, uh, uh, Brexit is just a, an easy example. Um, I think a lot of people, and not just on the right, by the way, there are people on the left, like uh, what Naomi Klein say, who are very critical of globalization. So there are, uh, you know, incentives for, for people on both sides of the political spectrum to argue against uh, globalization and to argue against such policies. So uh, I don't think it's an idle question. Um, I think it's just, again, you know, mankind going in one direction and then, you know, they don't like the uh, trade-offs in, of that direction. So they end up going in another direction and just, you know, the, 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 uh, level of, I mean, just, just people just keep on acting. They keep changing their opinions, keep changing their dress with time. And this is just the inevitable, uh, uh, state of, you know, human history and human civilization. Yeah. I did so, want to ask though. No, I, I gotta make one point. I think it's just cause it's funny. It's almost like, I think in some subconscious way, even though we're dancing around the philosophical or the nationalist implications, you in some way tie secession in with almost like a, a Kaczynski adjacent thought of like almost because I'm almost engaging with it in this super, very superficial how to split a state government from a federal government. And then the question you just asked to me struck me as indicative of you connecting secession with the paradigm the world is in. Right. So it's like if somebody is a radical anti-capitalist commie and then they get their state to secede from the union. It isn't really a step forward to making a communist state or a communist world or a communist paradigm. It really isn't, unless the United States bans certain things. So, like, it only goes so far. I don't. I don't want to be mischaracterizing you, but the thoughts of like Ted Kaczynski type things came to mind when you the way you're bringing up globalization because it is kind of like, well, people are against us on both sides, and it's indicative of culture in a world. Even if we, even if Connecticut secedes it doesn't mean they're going to start knowing their neighbor, right? I don't care, right? I, I more care about like the locus of control being close to the people. I don't really, and this might be to my detriment and where some libertarians who are more sympathetic to Kaczynski type thoughts and like community culture, maybe I shouldn't tie that. Maybe those the two things are like the same and very different. So maybe it's a little insulting to say an emphasis on community is Ted Kaczynski language, but that's who I associate it with because that's who, I most recently read talk about it. Um, so I don't necessarily think that's important, even though we're talking about seceding and lowering the level of control down a peg. Maybe you're tying it more in that way. And that's why some of our signals might be a little mixed. I just had to point out that because that's what I was observing. I could be wrong. Um, well, I guess I want to, to ask that question that I've said I was going to ask for like 10 minutes now. Um, and I wrote it down here. 
so, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, popular sovereignty, the will of the people, yada, yada, all that good stuff. Um, and I, it, it, this isn't really meant to be like a, a gotcha question or a curveball. It's just something like I was thinking about as we were talking about it. Um, if the state won't send, uh, you know, boots on the ground, doesn't that mean people are more powerful than the government? So, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, libertarians or ANCAPs are very concerned about government overreach. They're very concerned about uh, uh, the bad incentives of a state. Um, but so what, I, so what I sort of hear you saying throughout this conversation is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the state's not going to send boots on the ground. It's not going to get bloody um, in the way the Civil War did. And there might be even reasons why the federal government shouldn't fight secession. So um, doesn't that mean that the government is really weaker than maybe some libertarians or NCAPs think it is? And it's more, uh, 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 it, it, it has less of a stronghold on us than some people might think it does? Uh, or is there a way to, or, or, or am I being, or am I off base by saying that? You're, you're not like, Totally off base. It's, it's just the way the government chooses to show its strength are scenario dependent, right? So it's like, if you don't pay your taxes and you make a big deal out of not paying your taxes and you're really wealthy and you have like a huge base, the government's like much more likely to make a problem out of it than other people who do the same thing, right? Um, so like the government responds to different scenarios in, in different ways, depending on what their goals are and what they're willing to sacrifice. A lot of libertarians are very fatalistic about what can be accomplished in the sense that they rightfully know that the libertarian party and the libertarian identifier are unpopular. And because those things are unpopular, you can't get a lot done. Um, it's also like the, this failure to make strategic alliances or have more skin in the game. And I'm sympathetic to those things. Like I can move to Florida and be more free than I am where I live, right? Um, why don't I? Because I live near family and moving's really inconvenient. And maybe I don't go out a lot. So maybe I wouldn't even appreciate the difference that much. And there's a huge transaction cost. So when people complain, and, and, and you know, to, to even make it simpler, we can bring up masks, right? So some people see a sign outside of a grocery store and they don't want to wear a mask, but the sign says wear a mask. You can, you can go in without a mask and then wait till somebody tells you to put on a mask and then put on a mask. But like people who aren't confrontational, are going to see the sign and say, I don't want to wear this stupid mask, but they're going to put it on anyways, right? They're not even going to wait for the confrontation to happen because they avoid confrontation. So, so I guess what I'm saying is the government has an obscenely high amount of potential power. And then a lot of people out of maybe natural human personality types and instincts are afraid of potential power, even if it's not consistently utilized. Um, now, in this secession conversation, you've what you just observed was an example of I don't think potential power would be manifested given political incentives in a lot of secessions in the 21st century. Um, does that mean the government's less powerful or more powerful? Not really. It's just an observation on how power interacts with political movements and people, right? But I think that's worth noting. But I, I give, and I know you've you intentionally said this isn't a gotcha question. And it's because I think like all that stuff it operates in like a nonlinear codependent way and that's why it's just I, I i tell you a lot that like certain arguments bother me and i'm very kind of vague about it but there are certain types of non sequiturs that like make it 
that, that get turned into memes where it's like, oh, this person, you know, this type of protest isn't okay because COVID, but this thing is. And it's just like that, that type of linear thinking, even if it points out a bias, it doesn't usually have the backing of something honest that like takes into account how everything is multivariable. Um, so I think multivariable analysis is how you have to look at power in the state. That, that's really what I'm saying. I could have just said that in like five words. Um, so yeah, sorry. But you got to listen to my whole rant. So there's something there. No, I mean, I, I think we, I, I'm actually surprised. I was expecting this conversation to be a bit more antagonistic and a bit more fiery, but but I'm actually finding we're not agree, we're not disagreeing on a whole lot. I think, well, I mean, we are disagreeing on a few minor points, but I think we end up, as is often, actually, this is often the case, and it's kind of funny, but we often end up on similar sides, but for very different reasons and looking for very different ends. Um, I was just going to make yeah. a joke that, that, that we, we agree, except that you want to live in the seceded Vermont and I want to leave it. I want to live in the seceded New Hampshire. <laughs> right. So it's yes. like. Basically. Like, like, like you're yes. okay with me moving to Texas and leaving, even though like you don't want any part of it. And that's like, I, I think that's really well, well, yeah. and, where and I, I want about, people like, to be. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, if, if, no, 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 you're fine. But if Kentucky, you know, <laughs> seceded tomorrow, I would probably be fairly alarmed. Not in the sense that I am uh, uh, against them seceding in principle, but because I already don't share a lot in common with a lot of Kentuckians. Um, it's a, it's a red state. It's a very Christian state. Um, it's a very traditional state. And so I would expect that Kentucky, if it were its own country, would probably pass a lot of policies and do a lot of things, which I'm very unsympathetic with, uh, in, un, in, unsympathetic to, and I probably wouldn't like. And so I'd probably be in a bit of a predicament because, uh, I mean, if I really had to, I probably could, you know, get up and move. But as you say, it's a it's, moving's always a hassle. But I don't know if I'd really want to be, you know, live in the state of Kentucky uh, if it were its own country, for the reasons I mentioned. So that's why I was saying, like, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not really viewing secession in terms of yes or no. I'm viewing the I'm viewing secession in terms of well, is it politically palatable? Is it is it something we could do? And who's doing the seceding and why? Um, and it's a lot easier topic if the why is just civil war, slavery, and then it's end of, end of discussion. And that's why it, it gets it gets rerooted in that way. And and I, I just want to. And it's uh, well, sorry to interrupt, but, it, you know, the issue with the bringing up the civil war, really, I think, is people get their it becomes too, uh, too much, too moralistic of an argument. Like I said, it's not that. I, to me, anyway, it's not that interesting to ask, do I have the right to secede from the federal government? Because, but, but, but of course, you know, there's this issue of slavery. And again, there's like cultural differences between urban and, and, and suburb or urban and, and rural and like north and south that really haven't been solved, uh, even though the south was crushed. Um, so th th that is why it's uh, a diff it, th th that's why if we're going to discuss secession, you have to move beyond the civil war. I think it can be helpful to, you know, at least bring up certain aspects of the civil war, but that if you leave the conversation at, at that level, then you're definitely missing uh, some very important points that, you know, we, we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing I wanted to touch on, because we've mentioned 
well, why, why, why doesn't so-and-so move? Um, I, I just want to add a finer point on that. It's like, I do think somebody saying to me, Matt, you live in a blue city. Why don't you move to a red state if you hate blue cities? Um, I think my answer is something like, I would prefer the red city over the, I, I would prefer the red state over the blue city I live in. The issue is they still have all the federal government's rules that I hate. So the amount gained is not, it, it's marginal, right? To, to some degree. Like I really do hate the federal government and federal rules. Um, if I can move to a red state that didn't have the federal baggage, and maybe it did have to adopt more taxes, but it was still significantly less than the federal government, it would become more than marginal. If Kentucky was going to secede and was not going to have the same like high um, income tax as the United States tomorrow, I have no real affinity for Kentucky. I would think about moving to Kentucky immediately if I heard that they were planning on seceding. So, because people, because of COVID, have said secession's a moot point. The great realignment's happening anyways. People are moving to other states based on their political views. And I'm saying like, yes, but not only does secession formalize it, but anybody who's marginal becomes like a, I can now, I have now been given a great enough reason to actually go there because it's more than just a slight improvement. It's, we've gotten rid of a whole bureaucracy that they hate. Um, but that's my last point on that. And I know we've been going for a while. So I'll let you, I don't know if you are comfortable with what you've already said, or if you want to add a few more points, um, but then we can sign off. I think off. I'm good. Cool. Okay, well, that was a, see, you know, I, I, I knew this wasn't going to devolve into a shouting match, even though we were kind of arguing yesterday, so I'm happy with that. Um, okay, you can find me text on- Text is um, a bad, text is a bad form of communication anyway, so. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's why I was struggling out. It's like, yeah, it's hard to communicate anything that is um, indifferent and nuanced over text without sending like you're like angry. <laughs> so it's, it's very challenging. And that's why, uh, as I was going to go into plugging Twitter for a second, um, Twitter's horrible, and I've just badmouthed it for a whole episode of, of, of our show. So you can find me on Twitter at Matthew T. Keck, and you can find Matt, Matt here, Matthew Hazelwood, at Matthew Hazel, W-O, and then 8. Um, you can find his other content, uh, The Philosopher's Guide to the Apocalypse, where he's been doing some interviews with other people, discussing other topics. Um, and I have the Obey podcast, which will eventually come back to life in some form or other with more content. Um, but yeah, we, we kept you for an hour 26. So if you listen this far, I appreciate it. Hopefully you can check out more of our show on YouTube or any podcatcher just by searching, uh, beyond talking points. But, um, other than that, I guess sign off for now is Mad Matt. Thank you. <laughs>